Good morning and welcome. Whether you're in the room or whether you're online, we're glad to have you in worship with us today. The theme for today is death by comparison. And we're going to study the first five verses of Galatians chapter 6 as we've worked our way through the book of Galatians uh, for this sermon series. This is a good week to talk about death by comparison because this is the opening week for NFL football. In fact, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, I was working all day Thursday, got up really early and, and uh, had some other work to do when I got home and finally got to sit down and kick back and I turned the TV on and ah, there they are, KC versus New England, the first game of the season. You talk about comparison. I mean, when you get into sports, everybody's comparing everybody. And uh, they predicted that this game would be a blowout. And it was. But not in the way they first saw. You know, they thought New England is going to dominate. In fact, they're going to have an unbeaten season. They predicted the highest of the two teams would be 44 points, the combined score of the two teams. When in fact, Kansas City scored almost 42 points themselves. You know, it was uh, predicted that New England would win by Vegas by at least six points, or six-point spread. And then Tom Brady, of course, was the greatest quarterback in NFL history. You know, most Super Bowls of, of any quarterback, just, just knocking it out of the park. He was going to have an awesome day. In fact, I was listening to sports radio, and uh, they were comparing Alex Smith for Kansas City versus Tom Brady. And they said, I would take Tom Brady in a wheelchair with a prosthetic throwing arm over Alex Smith. That's, that's how they described it. <laughs> when in fact, Alex Smith led the Kansas City team to score more points against New England and, uh, and achieve more yards against New England than ever in the history of Belichick's New England team. So let's give him a hand. <laughs> I say that because I have a good friend who is absolutely sold out. He's got a man crush on Tom Brady. And uh, they... They talk about comparison. They actually rate quarterbacks. And, you know, a 100-point rating is a, is a really good score. Uh, Alex Smith, who's called a so-so quarterback for Kansas City, had a 148-point rating after that game. And, and Tom Brady uh, had a 70-point. Uh, <laughs> in fact, his, his angry face went viral across, across the country. But, see, it's not enough for Americans just to watch you know, objectively, somebody else compete. You know, we have to make it personal. In fact, J.C. Murray's down here with his family, and I was talking to him. He's in my fantasy football league. Uh, we've, we've got to make it personal. We've got to compete ourselves. We've got to draft our own teams. We've got to manage our own players. And he said, not only is he in my league, he's in a league with his house church, and his kids are all in a league. He says, so it's way too much to manage. I had uh, uh, all of my uh, friends, not all my friends, but 12 of my friends are, are in this league, and, and uh, I won't identify their names, but there are their logos, and they are called uh, Gridlock, Black Sheep, Smokey's Bandits, Scooter, Halftime, The Hedgehogs, Mushy Gushy, because we have never for, let this guy forget a statement they made while in worship when he couldn't come up with a word. He just said, well, it was kind of like mushy gushy. So we, we've just pinned him with that. Some of these names were chosen by people and some of them we chose for them. Uh, the Camel, Sue Cup, uh, Chief, and, and then one of the guys who comes up here often and is up here today uh, who leads worship. Uh, uh, when, he, when he prays, he often prays like this. So we call him Dr. Claw because... Um, I won't mention his name, but he'll be back later. 
And, and one of my friends, death by comparison, one of my friends wanted to trade me because I have, uh, I have um, Jordan Howard, the chief running back for Chicago Bears, uh, on my fantasy team. And he wanted to trade me Todd Gurley. Uh, for him because he's just got an affinity for the Bears. And I said, uh, remind me again, who does Todd Gurley play for? Oh yeah, that's right, the LA Rams. And you want to trade me for the number one running back for the Chicago Bears? He goes, well, the Bears are no great shake either. And I said, well, that's true, but at least they play for pride and Gurley plays for Cronky. You know, <laughs> no choice. No, I'm not going to trade you. Death by comparison. It's okay when we talk about sports. It can even be fun when you talk about sports. But what about when it works into our own life, when we compare ourselves to other Christians, you know, better or worse, or we start measuring faithfulness? Let's talk about that in a moment, but first let us pray. Gracious Lord, there's a bunch of sinners sitting in front of me, and there's a sinner they're all looking at as well, and uh, we fall down. Uh, we mess up, Lord. We, we do uh, sometimes uh, allow sinful uh, behaviors and attitudes and characteristics uh, to come forward in our life that don't reflect your values, that don't reflect your concern and your compassion towards others. Lord, there's none of us that could say that we are without sin. But we thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us a word of acceptance, uh, a promise of strength and assistance. And also, Lord, that um, you will uh, bless us uh, to recover from those times when we have failed. So bless us now as we consult uh, Paul's own counsel about Christians who compare. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Normally we have a TV here and I read the scripture from that, but we don't have that today because of our stage construction. So uh, it'll be on my, uh, on the, over my shoulder on the screen behind me. Let me just read the, the first five verses of Galatians 6 uh, with you. Brothers and sisters, if someone who is caught in a sin, the comparison is between a Christian who has fallen and a Christian who is in a position to help a person who has fallen. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. I don't think it's necessarily a temptation to fall into the same sin that they are, but may be tempted because this book is all about superior Jews who judged others. You may be tempted to become arrogant and think yourself better. Watch yourself lest you too be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ, you know, the true nature of our faith. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, you're just deceiving yourself. Each one should test their own actions, you know, be a judge of your own behavior. Then you can take pride or not in your behavior without comparing yourself to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, it's, it's really a, a talk towards two people, those who have fallen and those who are in a position to help those who have fallen. Now, I tend to find myself in both camps. You know, I, I, I'm not without error. I, I, and there are times when I uh, consider my witness and think, come on, you know, that's, you could have handled that better. You could have been more Christ-like in that interaction and, and I become discouraged by the nature of my sinfulness. 
And there are other times when I say, you know, I could, I could probably help that person and I'm in a position of strength. So I don't think that we're in one camp or the other always. I think we find ourselves in both camps from time to time. But let me first say a word to those uh, who are thinking of themselves right now as less than they ought to be and are frustrated with, with what you feel is the flesh that's taking dominance in your life rather than the Spirit of God. First of all, realize you are not alone. As we study this text, this last Tuesday, we have some guys who get together and we study the text, and some of them are proficient in Greek, the language of the Scripture, and, and they said that's kind of an interesting thought, to be caught in sin. Uh, what, what does it mean to be caught? And, and so they, they pulled up the words and began to study the words in the original language, and it, the, the word caught is taken before. Uh, the King James actually does a good job of translating it calling it overtaken. You know, if you've been surprised or if you've been overtaken by something you thought would never happen to you and suddenly it has, he's talking about you. He's talking about me, you know, and this is outside my normal behavior, but man, I see it has happened to me. When you've been overtaken, and it's interesting, the idea of sin is not the usual word for sin either. It's, it's fault. When you've been overtaken by a fault, in fact, the actual word means a slip or a fall. When you've been overtaken by, by, a, by a fall that you didn't see coming, because if you would have saw it coming, you wouldn't have fallen. You know, when you've taken a misstep and you've fallen and one of us hasn't. So he's basically saying that you're not alone. It happens to all Christians. So don't be so hard on yourself. Don't believe that somehow you've poisoned the well and there's no recovery for you. Now, it may take some time for other people to believe that about you, but in the meanwhile, you judge yourself not in the light of your behavior, but in the light of the forgiveness that you have from Jesus Christ, amen? I mean, God sees me as perfect. I'm imperfect, but I need that. I need to know that he has forgiven me and that nothing I can do in my own behavior will ever change his compassion and feeling towards me. He died for me, paid the price for me, and so I'm completely acceptable to him. But this fall, this unexpected slip or fall has more to do with being naive and perhaps too prideful in your faith than just a non-believer who doesn't give a rip about what's right or wrong. This is about Christians who have fallen. Now, normally we would think when somebody's been caught in a sin, we'd say, oh, that's a biggie. You know, I'm, I can excuse myself from that. I've never been guilty of fraud or adultery, you know, or violence or deceit. You know, I'm, I'm not that guy. But those aren't usually the things that cause us to become disappointed with our behavior. And in light of Galatians chapter 5, where he spoke about the various fruit of the Spirit as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, when you think about falling from those behaviors, then I say, okay, yeah, those are often lacking in my life. So when I have slipped and when I've fallen, when I've been overtaken, it's because of some kind of anger issue that I might have or, or some kind of bitterness about some unfairness that has happened to me or some jealousy for the success that somebody else had that, you know, what about me? Where's God in my life? Why doesn't he grant me that kind of success? Or possessiveness, you know, or selfishness or pride or vanity or, or a continuing critical spirit or some degree of impatience. These are the things that bug me when I say, I should be better than that, but I'm not. These bad attitudes, these attitudes that are anything but the fruit of the Spirit, 
sometimes overtake us. It overtakes all of us. You are not alone. You should not hold yourself to a standard that God does not hold you to. You know, we all fall down. Secondly, he says we should learn from our fall. He says each one of you should test his own actions. Each one of you should study what, what happened to you, you know, and, and, and become an objective uh, observer of that behavior and, and what caused that and what you can do about it. Resist justifying yourself or defending yourself. Carol's here. She can testify that I never do anything wrong. I always have a reason, you know. There's always somebody else who has been at fault, and I just had to react because I had to teach him a lesson, you know. Realize that the Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Can you invite somebody to say, you know, I'm just not feeling great about my life right now, and, and, and I am continue to mess up. You know, could, could you just talk into my life a bit? You know, allow yourself to become vulnerable to others. Admit to yourself ask for help, and, uh, you know, test your spirit, test your objective behavior, and be honest about the fact that you are less than what God would have you be. In a moment, we're going to talk about, so what do we do about that? Besides having somebody else help us, how can we ask God and invite God into our life to give us a greater measure of the spirit and the help that we need to maintain the faith that he wants us to live for our benefit, as well as for the benefit of others that we interact with, and certainly to his credit and to his glory. Third, you should realize that by comparing yourself to others, uh, you will often despair. Comparing leads to despairing. There's a danger in thinking that you have uh, forever fallen and can never get back up again. In fact, that attitude is a denial of, of how Jesus sees you as a righteous person, a perfect person, made so because of the forgiveness and acceptance you have in him. As Christians, we, we tend to want to project an image uh, of having it all together. Paul never did that. Pastor Dion, our senior pastor, certainly doesn't do that. In fact, he's always laying out his faults and failings. I said, you could do a little less of that, Dion. You know, that'd be okay if you were a better example to the rest of us. But he, he's so secure in his faith and he's so secure in his belief that it's God who makes me acceptable, not my behavior, that he'll lay it out before us. He'll, he'll say, Jocelyn and I are having some trouble. <laughs> and I think, is Jocelyn in the room? You know, but it, just, just to be vulnerable, to be open uh, and, and realize that I'm not here to promote myself as your savior. I'm here to talk about your savior, Jesus Christ. I'm a flawed and failed human being. Comparing yourself always leads to despairing yourself. Paul did that. You know, instead of saying, I'm Paul, I wrote more scripture than any other of the apostles. Paul, in fact, said, you know, I'm chief of sinners. He said, I was guilty for the death of Christians. People died because I put them in chains and drug them before uh, people who accused them and, 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 and killed them, stoned them. He said, and, and God showed me mercy, not because I was worthy, not because of what I would achieve after he did that, but because he wanted to give my life as an example, saying if Paul was so awful and God could love him, then which one of you could deny that God could love you as well? So Paul, from the rest of his life, and this is a good attitude for all of us to have, never weighed too much the criticism of others, 
nor did he second guess his own behavior, which is, which is my struggle to always kick myself for not having done something different, done something better, have risen above a situation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I care very little if I'm criticized by you. Indeed, I don't even stand in criticism of myself very much. I thought, wow, what an attitude, you know, to, to not worry too much about what others think and, and don't even fall into self-criticism. He says, uh, my conscience is clear. In other words, I stand forgiven. I stand accepted before God. That doesn't mean I'm innocent. He said, you know, I still mess up and, and I, I have regrets and I need to learn from those things. It doesn't mean I'm innocent. But I know it's the Lord who judges me and I know the attitude of the Lord who loves me and gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And so he's my judge, not you, not even me. And so I can stand up and say, you know, all that you say is true. And even worse than that. Martin Luther used to believe that, um, that the devil was actually physically uh, tempting him and distracting him and, and, uh, and causing uh, him to sin uh, in, in very physical ways. And in fact, if a squirrel danced across his roof while he was studying, he would believe it was a, a temptation of the devil to distract him from the work that he was doing. And uh, one time he actually threw a, an inkwell against the wall because he just felt the oppression of Satan in the room. And, and uh, he, he dreamed one night that, uh, that Satan said to him, Martin Luther, when you stand before God, I'm going to be there to accuse you. And there are things that people don't know about you that I know about you, and I will stand up and I will declare before everybody, you know, just what a sinner you are. And Luther said in that moment, I said, devil, you are not omniscient. You are not God. I have done even worse than you know. And I will stand there and say, you know, let me add to the list of failure because I have one who defends me and it is Jesus Christ. And in him alone will I take my stand and in him alone will I find my acceptance before the Father. I won't compare myself to anybody because I have been forgiven and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Amen. Secondly, let me say a word to those who are walking by the Spirit who are in a position to help those who have fallen. And uh, on occasion, that's all of us as well. He says, first of all, restore the one who has fallen gently. Restore the one who has fallen. Again, we were studying the text and we looked at the word restore and it's actually cauterize. That's, that's what the Greek word for restore is, cauterize. When you cauterize something, you stop the bleeding, Right? You know, when you go into the ER room and, and you say, you know, I'm so sorry, I should have run that saw across my hand. They don't care about that. They don't care how it happened. All they want to do is solve the problem. All they want to do is stop the bleeding. God doesn't care about your past. He cares about your future. He cares about your past if it's a continuing part of your past because it's going to harm you in the future as well. I had a pastor uh, one time uh, asked me if, if he should marry uh, a couple because of the nature of their relationship. And uh, I said, you know, you should probably talk about the nature of their relationship before they've reached this point because it might inform you about the future of their relationship and you should care about that. But you're not here to judge their past. You're here to help them in their future. God always, always, always cares about your future. Remember when they brought a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery and they threw her at the feet of Jesus? No question. That's who she was. And the Jewish law said she should be stoned to death for that sin. Jesus says, you're right. That's what should happen. And they all had stones in their hands. 
And he said, the one who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And it's always been fascinating to me that it says they began to leave one by one, drop their stones and leave. The old men first. Because, you know, they were, they were old enough and mature enough to know that they would never claim to be without sin. And then the younger ones followed. And then when they all left, Jesus said, now, get up off your feet, you sinner. No, he, didn't, he said, I don't condemn you either. No one is here to condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I care about this behavior because you're only going to bring trouble into your life and you're going to bring trouble into the lives of others. Just learn from your mistake. Move forward. God always, always, always cares about your future. He's not interested in you doing penance. He's not interested in you, you know, saying so many prayers or doing so much good behavior to earn your way back into his favor. You don't earn your way back into God's favor. Jesus earned your favor when he died on the cross. Amen? And any denial of that is to say he didn't get it done, that there's something left for you to do. And that's simply heresy. You know, Jesus has completely redeemed you. And he cares only about your sin in as much as it affects your life and as much as it affects the lives of others. You know, not for you to, to become perfect, which no one can ever do. Restore the fallen gently. Uh, a friend of mine likes to say, you can't help somebody else without helping yourself. Nor can you hurt somebody else without doing yourself harm. I told him I'd going to quote him and not give him credit, you know, because I think that's so inspired. You can't help somebody else without doing good to yourself. Nor can you hurt somebody else without doing yourself harm. We're in a position to help other people. Sin extracts its own price. You don't, need an ad, you don't need to add a tax to the price that somebody's already paying for their misbehavior. You know, sin never works out well. Eventually, there's a price to be paid for it. Why should we add to the price as Christians? We are there to simply cauterize the issue, to stop the bleeding and help this person forward. Now, if we need to talk about the past so that they avoid making the mistake in the future, that's a different thing. But we don't talk about the past in order to accuse, in order to condemn, but rather to help them move forward. Secondly, don't think too highly of yourself. Jesus told another story about two men who went up to pray. One was a model Jew, keeping all the traditions and all the laws of the Jews. And he went up to the temple and he said, thank you, Lord, for the life you've given me. And thank you, Lord, that, that I'm not a sinner like that one over there, you know, that, I, that I've walk the straight and narrow, and he obviously hasn't. Thank you, Lord, for making me so special. And the sinner who was over here would not even look up to God because he was fully aware of the fact that what the man said was true. He was a sinner. He said, God, I can't thank you for being great because I'm not. Be merciful to me. I'm a fallen man. And then Jesus asked the question of the Jews who were there bragging about their faithfulness in life. He said, which one of these men do you think went down to his house forgiven? Rhetorical question. It certainly wasn't the one who bragged about being so great. It was rather about the one who said, you know, there's nothing great about me. So realize that when you help somebody else, there's nothing great about you. You know, you might be on firm ground today, but fallen tomorrow. 
And realize that given the same circumstance and placed in the same situation, you yourself might have succumbed to the same temptation. You're not without sin. Those who are most available to help are those who are most aware of their own human nature. Jesus once said, you know, how can you pick a speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? You know, if you can't see your own sin, you're not in a position to help somebody else. And then third, acknowledge your own vulnerability. You know, just, just admit that you're not beyond sin. Uh, recently, I had a, a friend that I was uh, conversing with back and forth in text messages and phone calls and, and various things, and suddenly he just quit talking to me. And uh, no matter what I wrote or what I left on his phone, I just I, I couldn't get an answer from him. And I, I just had to admit that I've probably done something to offend this person. I don't know what it is. So I called him on the phone and just, you know, be vulnerable. Just say, hey, I, I must have done something to upset you. I must have said something or, or behaved in some way that, that has tinked you off. And the only way I'm going to get better is if you help me. You know, if you, if you talk to me, if you, if you give me some insight, you know, so that, so that I can avoid that kind of behavior in the future. Paul called himself chief of sinners. He didn't think himself above others. He remained vulnerable. There's, there's a book I read recently. I like to read history books, as you know, but this book was, was true, but it wasn't historic. It was called uh, The Invisible Thread, or an Invi- I think it was called The Invisible Fre- Thread, and uh, you might have read it. it. It's a story about, uh, a true story about a lady who was a marketing exec in New York City. She lived in a luxurious apartment, and she walked every day. She was the head of marketing for USA Today, the newspaper. And, and like all New Yorkers, uh, she lived downtown, not like all New Yorkers, but she lived downtown and, and she could walk to her office. That's the way she wanted to set up her life. And uh, she would pass by street peddlers all the time, just, just common in New York. And there was one kid, six or eight years old, uh, who asked her if she had any money to spare. She, she walked by him without a thought, just like she did every day to, to the other 10 people that would ask her for something. But when she got to the end of the block, she just, she just, she can't even explain it. She just felt a prompting to go back. And she went back to this young inner city kid and said, are you hungry? He said, yes, ma'am. She goes, would you like to go to McDonald's with me? He said, would I? And she says, well, come on. He says, can I have a hamburger? She goes, you can have a hamburger. Can I have a Big Mac? You can have a Big Mac. Can I get a large order of fries? She goes, you can have whatever you want. And, uh, and, and she just began to help him. And then she said, how about next Friday I meet you again? She goes, would you do that? And so she began to do this, and that relationship grew. And she didn't pass any judgment on this kid who was the product of a, 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 of a, a woman who was constantly in and out of jail because of drugs. His grandmother was in and out of jail because of drugs. His dad had deserted the family, and his so-called uncles that would live in the, in the projects with them were constantly in and out of trouble with the law. She developed a relationship with this kid, and uh, she helped him to go to school. He didn't want to go to school because he didn't, have a, he didn't have lunch, and it was embarrassing for him to go to lunch. And she said, that's why you don't go to school? And so, and so she left a bag, a brown paper bag with lunch in it for her doorman to give to him if he would go by on the way to school. He started going to school. 
And, you know, without any criticism. And to have a brown paper bag in that school meant somebody cared for you. You know, she said, can I just buy your lunch? He goes, no, I don't don't want you to buy my lunch. I want you to fix a brown paper bag for me. And so she tried to figure out, and it was messy, as it is. Helping people is messy. She tried to figure out how to help him without hurting him. And now, 20 years later, she wrote this book. This man completely avoided the drug culture, landed a, a good job, and is raising a family of his own because one Christian helped. What an incredible story. Just think if that's your legacy. If nothing else than that, you know, you help somebody rise above their fallen situation. It's an incredible opportunity we have as those who walk in the Spirit to reach down and gently help those who have fallen or those whose circumstance is beyond their ability uh, to extract The scripture concludes with these words. In verse 5, it says, For each one of you should carry his own load. I thought it just said, you know, carry each other's burdens. What does it mean, carry your own load? I I think it means that we should take responsibility for our own status in life and our own spiritual development. Whether we have fallen, we should take responsibility for that, not blame somebody else. Or whether we're in a position of strength, we should take responsibility for that. And we should realize that with that comes an obligation to help those who have fallen. In chapter 5, which is the context for this verse, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, faithfulness to God, this whole book, this, this whole book of Galatians, is, it's not about religion. It's not about keeping the traditions. It's not about doing good and avoiding bad it's, it's about being in relationship with God and letting God prompt you and use you in life. It's about an attitude. That's the difference between being whole and being hollow. Not just on the outside having an appearance of health, but being healthy all the way through. You know, realizing that, that my acceptance and my ability and my strength comes from God who loves me and sent Jesus Christ for me and enables me to accomplish much you know, in the, in the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked about what the fruit of the Spirit are. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and then it says this interesting phrase. I love this phrase. Against these, God has placed no limitation. You can't have too much of that in your life. But that's not a to-do list. I used to think, well, I need more patience. If, if God wanted me to have more patience, he'd given it to me by now. And, and then I realized that That's just a sign of spiritual maturity. That's just a checklist on how mature you are. If you are mature in the faith and if you're walking with God, those qualities will be found in your life. If those qualities aren't found in your life, then you need to grow closer to the Lord uh, through his word, uh, through worship, through prayer, uh, through all the ways in which he has given us to get to know him. And also another way, uh, and I want to practice that with you right now as we conclude this series uh, on Hallow. Because Paul said that he imparted the Spirit of God on Timothy, and it's found elsewhere in the Bible, by just the laying on of hands and praying for God's Spirit to come stronger into your life. Now, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the very fact that you have faith says you already have the Spirit of God. But you can have a greater measure of God's Spirit loosed in your life. And I want to do that with you now. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to lay your hands in an appropriate way, not in an angry way, but in an appropriate way uh, 
with a brother or sister and, and pray that God's spirit would enter their life. And, and this is where it comes from. It says, uh, as Paul spoke to Timothy, he said, let me remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God. We all have the gift of God. We have, all have the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, it's smoldering. It's not, as, it's not burning as bright as it should. He said, I want you to fan into flame that spirit that you have, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gives us will not make us timid. It'll make us bold. And it's a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Who doesn't need power, love, and self-discipline, you know, in their life? And so now the time has come. I want you just to take your right hand and lay it on somebody's shoulder. You know, everybody's got to do this. Take your right hand and lay it on somebody's shoulder. You may have to cross a pew to do that. Just, and we're going to pray that God would send his Holy Spirit in a greater measure into your life. And, and uh, I want you to just repeat after me to this person uh, these biblical concepts. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit according to the measure of God's favor. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. May God's will be done. Now, I want you to drop that hand, but I want you to turn... And I want you to see what the Bible has to say about this business of the Holy Spirit falling on his people. And let's read it together from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The spirit that is from God, that's what we pray for, and that's what we bless others to receive. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. And his spirit uh, spreads the gifts across the church. Each of you should receive the gift that you have received to serve others. As faithful followers of God's grace in its various forms. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite the band back up here and, and our singers as well to sing a song called Brothers and Sisters in Christ. Because that's what we are. You know, uh, as a family of God, when the world walks out on us because we've disappointed them and we've disappointed ourselves, family walks in, and that's the kind of family we want to be. God bless your worship.